The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. John, let's talk gear. All right. <laughs> this becomes the, you know, the we get down to the nitty gritty. Sure. So, you know, early early footage of the Desert Rose Band has you playing a. Uh, it looks. It, I think we we talked about it, it was a Japanese vintage '62 uh, reissue. You know, custom. Uh, you know, sunburst with white binding that yep. you played for a while, and then you started playing a uh, uh, an ASAT that was natural finish that's now in the possession of. Uh, of Brad Paisley that uh, right yeah you know, that uh, that you know you that, set up that transfer I I, I, that I set that nice. up and 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 uh, that that's a uh, that's kind of a fun should we should we tell that story real quick sure okay yeah I, I would so, like I'd love to hear from your perspective how okay. it, how it happened so Brad Paisley and I went to college together and we used to sit around and we each had videotapes of you playing with the Desert Rose Band okay. Okay. So we each had the stuff that we had taped off the television. And so we would scrape up enough money to pick up a, uh, a one-topping uh, Papa John's pizza. Okay. <laughs> only one topping. Yeah, only one. That's all we could afford. Because, you know, so we'd scrape together, you know, dollar bills and change and stuff. like. Because I think it was six fifty to pick up a, a one-topping pizza, you know, at this time in the, okay. in the early 90s. All and right. uh, so we would get a one-topping large pepperoni pizza and we would put in our tapes of you playing with the Desert Rose Band. <laughs> and so we had things like uh, Church Street Station and oh, yeah. Austin City Limits and different performances on Nashville Now and, and uh, various other things. And so one of our favorites was uh, the, uh, you know, of course, we liked the Church Street Station one a lot, but we also really liked the Austin City Limits one, which was, that seemed to be, you know, during the time of the, like, tail end of the first record or beginning of the second album, something around that. Yeah, and, because uh, there was material from both albums, yeah, but it yeah. was early on, yeah early on for, yeah. For, of the live, you know, yeah. days of that band. And you had two AC-30s, and you had, you know, one of these uh, pedal, pedal boards, and they had this uh, natural finish ASAT. And uh, so anyway, so fast forward many years, and uh, the uh, there's a, a gal named Cindy Mabe that I'd gone to school with, and she was working at Arista, and she called me up, and she said, every time we do a uh, platinum award ceremony or something like that for Brad, we give him the plaque, and he puts it against the wall somewhere and leaves it there. <laughs> <laughs> he won't yeah, take the award. The thing about that, every time we do the platinum yes, thing, like exactly, like, like, so yeah, it, it's it, happened so many well, times. And this was, That's, you know, yeah, it's pretty he was, he was, impressive. Yeah, so, so you know, his career was was chugging along pretty <laughs> Doing well, very well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she asked me. She said, "What is something that Brad would really like? We, we just want to do something nice for him." And so, um, you know, I, I had met you a couple months before, and uh, and I said. You know, why don't you contact John Jorgensen and see if he would 
you know, in some way part with this this guitar that he used? Because I, I knew you would never part with like your silver sparkle or something like that. But I thought perhaps, you know, here's a guitar that you used on this performance that I hadn't seen you play since. I thought maybe, you know, maybe he'd part with it. So they did. So they reached out to you. And uh, and so there was this party that was on the stage of the Ryman. And, and you, you know, were kind enough to show up and you had on your Vox grill cloth jacket. <laughs> that I could still fit into, thankfully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it looked like you were ready to, you know, play, you know, ready, ready to come out and rock out. And you, ha you had that guitar and your, and your wife Dixie was with you. Yep. And, uh, and so I, I you know, kind of had you backstage and, uh, and Joe Galati you know, gave this great presentation. And of course they gave him a, a plaque, you know, with the platinum album thing. And then they said, you know, and then, uh, we're, but we have someone, a, a special guest that's gonna come out. And you come walking out with the Vox grill cloth jacket <laughs> and holding the, the natural finished GNL set from the Austin City Limits performance. Yeah, and the, the look on his face, it was, that was pretty priceless. It, I, I would love to see a little clip. Maybe there is a clip of that. You yeah. could, it, it was. It I've I've never seen him that uh, awestruck before. I mean, because <laughs> he, he had, you know he was just you know completely he didn't know what to say. And and there's I, I have a uh, I have a picture, and uh, you can even tell you know in in the picture that he's still kind of like in a in a like in a dream or something. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, well, it's so cool. But in the uh, I really thank you for for making that happen because you know at, from my perspective I I got an email I think from Cindy saying yeah. we'd like to do something nice for Brad and, and yeah. his his tech. Yeah. Zach had mentioned, you know, that he would love to have one of your ASATs from your Desert Rose Band days. Yes. And and she didn't she was no more specific than that. Yeah. You know, and I thought, okay, well, I had I didn't have that many actually. Well, I mean I have all of us have way too many guitars, but right. there wasn't like a ton of different ASATs. So uh, there's this this one that I, you know, I played so much of of that time period on, and a lot of the Hellcasters things on, and then I had one that that had been made up special. It, it had a humbucking pickup in the front of theirs, and a Strat pickup in the middle, and this A set pickup in the back. Okay. And it was also natural. I used that on Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time album. Okay. It's a very creamy, the neck pickup was really creamy. So that's yeah. a special one. Yeah. Um, and then I had one that I got later. It was a black one. I had broken my arm. It was the first time I was going to play with Elton. And I couldn't, I couldn't move my arm away from my body. So I had the guitar cut off like that so that I could... <laughs> Fit. Yeah, <laughs> so I still have that one, and I have the piece left. Okay. And then uh, there was one three pickup ASAT blonde that I used on uh, "I Still Believe in You Now," mm -hmm. and I think I sort of did a long term trade loan with a friend for a keyboard or something. Yeah. But then there was this other one um, that was actually the first ASAT that I ever had. And I, I, I thought, well, you know, that one, yeah, I, I could, I could part with that one, mm -hmm. you know. And, and at the time, I didn't remember anything about Austin City Limits, you mm -hmm. know. That wasn't even in my mind. It was just like, oh, wow. yeah, this is a nice A set. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because it was the first one that was given to me by Leo Fender. 
So that in itself is just pretty awesome. I mean, and, that's totally awesome. And it had a pretty, it had a really pretty grain pattern on it mm -hmm. too. Very like uh, book matched uh, grain pattern in the wood. And so when I, you know, I thought, well, if I'm going to be there to, to present it, you know, he, he would think it was cool if I wore the box jacket because yeah. it's, you know, there's not that many people that get that, you yeah, know? Yeah. A lot of people just look at it like, oh, they don't even know what it is, you yeah. know? He's going to know, boom, in a yeah. second what that is. And so when I saw you backstage waiting to make the presentation, you know, you came right and looked at the guitar and went, that's the one you used on Austin City Limits. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're right. You, yeah. you're, I hadn't even thought of that before. Yeah. And, and that's really, it, it actually is one of the best kind of, I don't know, cap, time capsule of the Desert Rose Band at that time. Yeah. You know, we didn't even all have Manuel suits yet. Mm -hmm. You know, it was early on. So you're talking about, you know, we weren't making money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those suits were expensive. Yeah. You know, so, and I think I, it was probably my first two AC30s, I think. Yeah. You know, one was my first top boost AC30 in a sort of a charcoal gray cover. And the other one was a white one. And I'd had that cabinet built because when I bought the amp, uh, I bought it out of the newspaper and it said, it just said AC30 head only, you know. Yeah. And I thought, well, I went to see it and someone had taken all the, the, the Tolex off the cabinet, cut holes in the side for handles, taken the front panel off. It had no back panel. So it was just like this sort of skeleton thing. Yeah. Uh, but I said, hey, you, you know, I'll, I'll buy this, first of all. Mm -hmm. But do you have the speakers for it, too? He said, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'd sell those. And so I had the whole thing, but the cabinet was just like in tatters. So a mm -hmm. friend of mine, Doug Johnson, replicated my cabinet and I had it covered in white. So I had the black and white mm -hmm. amps there. Anyway, yeah. Austin City Limits. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so you, you moved from the, uh, you know, the, the, the Fender, you know, the Japanese vintage uh, Telecustom and then you started playing the ASAT and then, so this one, was this the next one that you got? Yeah, this is okay. the one that I really wanted. You know, yeah. I wanted Silver Sparkle. When I first got it, it was all this color here. Um, this gold color, it's just the, the lacquer yellowed to mm -hmm. create that color. Um, and when I asked, I asked them at GNL, could you make me a silver sparkle? Yeah. And Dale Hyatt was the product manager at that time, and he said, no, we're not going to do that. I said, come on, please, I really want it. <laughs> and he said, no. He said, back in Fender, when we would make a sparkle finish like that, yeah. a, a one little metal flake would get stuck in the ducting, and then it would drift down in the middle of a black finish and ruin it, you yeah. know? So I, I just kept begging and finally they they did this guitar for me. And I don't even know who did the finish. It's very, very thick. And yeah. it has, if you can see, it's it's uh, cracked all along here, you know, in very cold weather. But I actually kind of love how it looks now. And, and it's a great sounding guitar. Um, you know, here I, I used to use it for definitely for She Don't Love Nobody, and it's got yeah. that clangy sound. Yeah. It's going to be very loud, so we won't talk and play at the same time. So you hear 
there, it's got a lot of chime and yeah. it's got it's it's got a telly sound, but it's a little bit more. It's a little yeah. girthier and it it'll drive the amp just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much do you think that has to do? You know, because it, of course the strings don't go through the body on that. It's got you know it's got a top loading bridge. It does have a top loading bridge, but yeah. if you took this bridge off, uh -huh. there's a route in the body about the size of a small Strat pickup. Okay. And this bridge has a metal piece that goes in the body. Oh wow! So you do get some of the properties of string through body, yeah. like on a regular telly. Wow. And this bridge is very, um, how should we say, it's a very solid bridge. It has a lot of mass to it. It has a yeah. lot of mass. And if you see here on the side, unless we get really geeky here, there's a little screw, a set screw, right, to, that pushes all of these bridge pieces together. So you get this big mass of, of metal, almost like a Les Paul Jr. bridge, mm -hmm. which is another one of my favorite type of guitars. And the, you know the regular Telecaster bridge, where everything is very uh, there's a lot of contact points, mm -hmm. and I think that contributes to the harmonic content and the sustain yeah. of, of the guitar for sure. You know, we just heard the back pickup of this guitar, which the back bridge pickup, I would say, yeah. and and it has uh, you know it, it has a bristly kind of sound. <laughs> The front or neck pickup has a creamier sound, a little bit fatter than a normal telly. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, I'm going to change the setting on here. Yeah, there's a delay, and and this is something that I would have played on the Helicasters, the second album, Return of the Helicasters, and would be this kind of a. There's a lot of harmonic content in that. Yeah. Uh, that's the middle position with a, a Dimension C pedal on, which is sort of a chorus, flanger, spatial enhancer, mm -hmm. they say. It's an analog pedal. And, and they made also a digital Dimension C, which has four knobs. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like this. Yeah. Uh, which, which of the four buttons is pushed? I can't tell. Uh, the first one. Okay. The first one. Yeah. And I, I almost always leave it like that. Okay. Uh, every once in a while for fun, I might go to four if I wanted to get really wild sounding. But that's for special occasions. Yeah. <laughs> and then otherwise you've got this uh, you know, Boss DD3 and you've got a RV2. That's the, uh, that's the first of their digital reverb pedals and it looks like you've got it on the plate setting. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is an RV two. Um, I, I seem to like things that end in two. The, the normally, if I had my choice, that it would be a DD two instead okay. of a three. Yeah. Um, I have a, four or five different pedal boards, and most of them it's going to be the two right. on there. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm just used to where the knobs go on that one. Yeah. I think the the amount of, of decay that you can get is different or some of the timing is a little bit different. Yeah. Otherwise, it's pretty much the same pedal, but 
It's a DC-2, the Dimension yeah. Chorus. It's an RV-2. Yeah. And normally it would be a DD-2. Yeah. I don't know if it's just whoever was in the two design phase is the ones that I like. One, yeah. But um, that, that if one. I turn off the those and just have the reverb... Uh, so... You get a big sound. It's yeah. a little bit stadium sounding, but without being too swampy. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the reverb by itself. If if I add the delay in, uh, you can hear the delay. And kind of a medium. And I would usually, uh, the, the way that I used to set that delay, I would play this song. And if I heard that the eighth note delay coming in in the right place, right. I knew I had the time setting right. right. So that's a song from the first Desert Roosevelt album, the one that got away. Yeah. And uh, we didn't ever play that live too much. I don't know why, but it's one of my favorite tracks that we did. Um, I use the Dimension C a lot, you know, for clean sounds. Uh, for, for example, on um, Love Reunited. Yeah. I'll probably, probably have that delay on as well. Yeah, it doesn't want to stay on, does it? Again, that kind of uh, that uh, kind of country meets pretenders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was going towards a Helicasters thing before to show the neck pickup. Um, after that intro, the song is called "Between Twilight and Dawn," and the the melody would have been played on this guitar. Mm -hmm. uh, Nice fat sound, you know, right. uh, and still clear though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't get too muddy. Yeah. Um, so this was a a great versatile guitar for me yeah. for a lot of those days. It also sounds good with some distortion as well. Um, <laughs> that, that pedal, that, that yeah, pedal's... yeah. And see, it just turned off the reverb. Mm. So uh, my favorite. Uh, so I, I was telling you about an amp that I had, uh, the first single 12 matchless. Mm -hmm. I have stupidly left it in my car at one point with my pedal board, and the whole car was stolen. Oh. So I got the car back, but it didn't have any tires or wheels or steering wheel or seats or sunroof. or It was basically stripped. Wow. But it still worked, yeah. you know? 
They said, we found your car, but if you want to drive it, you'll have to bring something to sit on and a steering wheel. (laughs) So I got it back and eventually like built it back up again. I never got the amp back or the pedal board. The amp, we think it ended up in Canada. Okay. So there was letters to Matchless asking about a problem or something. And mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Sampson at the time said, send it back. We'll fix it free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, they never did. Right. But my pedal board at that time, uh, I had a, a, a TS9 Tube Screamer, mm-hmm. which was the one that you could get at that time. Right. But when I went to replace it, the only one they had was this kind, this, the TS5 Sound yes. Tank. And I thought, oh, that looks so stupid. Yeah, the I, I hate that thing. looking thing. Yeah, I don't want that. So, but that's the only one that we have. Yeah. So, okay, well, I'll take it. Yeah. Well, it has ended up being my favorite Tube Screamer of all of them. <laughs> I remember those being 35 bucks or something like that on you sale. You can still now get them for 35 bucks on eBay. Wow. Um, you know, next to it is the TS-808, which, of course, is a very expensive, desirable right. pedal. But I only use that if I want to put them both on at the same time. Wow. So the, the just for normal stuff, I always use this tube screamer, distortion all the way, tone middle, level, slightly less than middle. Okay. So the, the volume is about the same with or without it. So here's without it. Volume is about the same. So a great sounding pedal. Yeah. That's what I would use. Uh, all Helicaster stuff. Um, it's, to this day, that's my go-to distortion sound. And how would you use the two together? Um, I wouldn't. Would not so much on this guitar, but I, uh, okay. Well, on the one that I describe the the Helicaster model if I want right. to get feedback. But who knows? Maybe it'll it might work on this. Guitar. So you're using a $700 uh, vintage overdrive pedal to uh, create uh, feedback. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're using and the $35 one as your main overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, it's not that the, the 808s, it doesn't sound bad. It sounds nice. But I find that in a band situation, the the 808 is smoother and it doesn't cut through as well. Yeah. So when you turn it on, it's, it's a little bit, even if you turn it up, it just doesn't have quite the bite. So, it, and as I say, and if I, I'll turn it on if I want a smoother, almost more like a LA studio, smoother kind of distortion, yeah. you know, which yeah. I, I most of the time don't want, but yeah. <laughs> so, John, another one of the sounds that, you know with the Desert Rose Band that you kind of brought back was you know that kind of British invasion and bird you know sound of the electric twelve string. So, no, I was such a big fan of of the birds, and also when you know when George Harrison would use the Rickenbacker as well. Um, 
And in my earlier band in Neo Paris and the Futures, that was my, my setup, I think I said, was a, a Les Paul Jr. with P90 and an AC30. And I had a Rickenbacker 12 string as well. It was a, called a, a 425-12. Okay. Solid body. Uh, when I got it, the neck had been broken off the body and badly repaired, so it was kind of like a whammy bar. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I had it. I sent it to Rickenbacker, and instead of fixing that joint, they put a new neck and body on it and put my old parts on it. Oh. So that's what I used on the first Desert Roseman album. Okay. And then I started wanting the sound of the of a you know middle position pickup as well. So uh, for the second album, I had asked Rickenbacker to build me this guitar. And they balked at first, and then one of my friends said, hey, I think this, this band is really doing well. Maybe you should reconsider. Yeah. So uh, what I wanted was what, what this came out to be. It's, you know, I always loved how John Lennon's Rickenbacker looked. Right. And so this has the same type of body, same kind of pickups, three pickups setup, and this early kind of knob stacked, stacked um, pick guard like, like the 50s Rickies. Um, but this has a full-scale 12-string neck. Mm -hmm. uh, John Lennon's guitar had a short-scale neck. Right. And they built him a 12-string with a short-scale as well. But this is full-scale neck, but with the cool pickups and everything like that. So this I used on Summer Wind um, and on Running. Mm -hmm. And everything basically on the, the, the Running album. And I was talking about the Dimension C earlier before. Uh, it's not going to be in stereo, but you'll still get the kind of effect that I did. Uh... So I'll use the Dimension C yeah. just at the end of the phrase. I would also use it in the middle of the song. There would be a phrase that goes like this. So other than just raking the strings to get a lot of, of uh, kind of a, a, a sound like maybe a suspended cymbal or, or like a, a whole lot of people playing at the same time, I would rake and bring that dimension C in so you get some pitch stuff. Yeah. Here's what it sounds like without it. Which is okay. Yeah. But then when you get this. I've really appreciated that about your playing where you would use an effect, instead of just letting it stay on the guitar the whole time, sometimes you would use an effect just for like a, a rake or something like that. It always, it made that that part of the song really stick out. Yeah, yeah. that, well, mm. thank you. That, yeah. that was sort of my, that was sort of my idea. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I use this guitar a lot on running, you know, which, uh, had sort of a Buddy Holly kind of melody section mm -hmm. in it. it So again, I use the Dimension C to just yeah. push, yeah. you know, a little bit of the parts there. And 
I, I love this part. I'm going to play it slow, slowly, just so you can hear. The voicings are really cool. I mean, you never get to hear that, you know, when it's playing at speed, but yeah. I love... That's such a nice voicing. Great voicing. Yeah. First Desert Rose Band album that I would have used uh, is... I, what would you use this for one step forward? Yeah. In the middle of the verse, it comes in. And then the solo part is. Again, you got a little beatly in there. Totally. Yes. Well, the beginning of it, the, that's taken from uh, Sloop John B. Oh, of the yes, Beach Boys. Yes. So it's like. Yeah. <laughs> and then the back part of it. I'm just following the chords. Yeah. And you wouldn't normally hear like a seventh chord so much on a 12 string. That's why yeah. it sounds kind of cool. It's a little bit of voice leading, so yeah. this is my classical training comes out you know, in, in some different ways. 35012. <laughs> Custom made, probably one of a kind. Yeah. Great From sounding instrument. 1988. Yeah. So this is a really cool six-string bass. <laughs> so I remember seeing this on television. I'm 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 not gonna, you know, geek out too much on you, but I remember seeing, you know, and just thinking how unique looking it was, and it sounded killer, you know, because it was, that wasn't a common thing at that point in time. So you, playing with the Desert Rose Band, used that, then Richard Bennett did it with Guitar Town. Right, and then Steve a, and, Earl, and then yeah. a year or two later, uh, Hayden Nicholas would do it with uh, Clint Black on Killing Time. Right. And so there was kind of, there were a couple of songs that kind of came out, but this is one of the earliest ones where, where the six-string bass was used as a solo instrument instead of just a tic-tac. Yeah. And, and I remember hearing, you know, on the first record, He's Back and I'm Blue, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, well, that... Uh, on the recording, it was a Dan Electro. Yeah. This is, this bass is um, really unusual. The, the body I found in a New York guitar show sitting under a table for $40, mm -hmm. and it, had, it was new old stock, which means... It didn't, it didn't have anything cut out for a bridge or pickups or anything. It was just this body. And I thought, how cool is that? I didn't even really know what it was. I found out that it was a Premier, made by Premier. Mm -hmm. um, not the English drum company. Right. It was an American guitar and amp company. So I bought it, and I took it to Joe Glazier and asked him to build a neck for it not thinking he would design a neck so beautiful like that that matches perfectly the body. Way cooler than an original neck on this. Mm -hmm. And of course he used some really pretty flamed wood too. Of course he did. You can see up here where it got discolored from the flood because mm -hmm. this was sitting in a case for a couple weeks in water. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the perloid started to come off but I, it got glued back on. And then uh, these are Dan Electro pickups and bridge. And so it basically has the same sound as my Dan Electro, and we talked about this vibrato pedal, which you so graciously provided. 
And this is the sound that I used on He's Back and I'm Blue, middle position, which gets these in series, gives a, a fatter sound. So nice and warbly. Yeah, what's not to like? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I would also use this on One Step Forward, which is uh, the first really the first number one record for Desert Rose Band. And I remember loaning my Dan Electro six-string bass to Jack Daniels okay. to use on a Highway 101 record. I kind of regretted it at the time. I was just being the nice guy, mm -hmm. but I thought, Paul Worley, why would you take a sound from one of your bands and, and give it to one of your other bands? Right. Uh, I should have told him, no, you go buy your own. Damn, <laughs> go buy your own. <laughs> go get dams. your own. You know, go yeah. find one. So, because you couldn't hardly find one. I mean, basically, you had uh, Joe. Joe Glazer was uh, was making some just a few, you know, here and there just because he liked them, and that's why he was so adept at doing this. Yeah, he does such yeah. a great job. I mean, yeah. what a master I, he I is. I love the, the top and the scroll work, and the fact that he did the scroll on the headstock. Yeah, and that's found cool. matching accordion pearl yeah. for the top. I mean, who, who does that? Yeah, Joe Glazer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I've, uh, I recently saw a video clip of uh, the Osborne brothers mm -hmm. playing Ruby uh, in 1965 at the Newport folk festival and george shuffler famous guitarist is playing electric bass and he's using one of these bases which is so cool it's very cool this is one of your fender custom shop guitars but this is a special one obviously with the paint job yeah it is um you know during the the helicaster's time i think i mentioned that we uh, all three of us went to fender right. to be fender endorsers and so uh you know, I wanted a guitar that could give me a similar sound to my GNL ASAT. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always trying to innovate to get quieter guitars. Mm -hmm. So I thought, how about humbucking pickups made out of Telecaster coils, underwound, so they don't get too thick, um, but they still sound like a Tele, but just yeah. not as noisy. And they tried to talk me into having them be stacked pickups, which I don't like the sound of two coils under a string. Uh, so I didn't want to do that. Um, I also wanted the visual. If you look at it, you, you can see what it is. Yeah. You know? It tells you what it is. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is one of my signature guitars. The body, you can't tell because of this paint job, the body is Karina. I was always curious about having a Telecaster in Carina. I don't yeah. think any had it done before. So because they're in used in Gibson Flying Vs and the, all the modern, you know, series. Exactly. The, yeah. that and and it they have a you know, Carina has a particular sound. It's um it's not too dissimilar from mahogany, but it well, it's a type of mahogany anyway, right? So uh it's Carina body, it has a very flamey neck, uh, a bird's eye maple, which you know, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have a lot of flamey necks built anymore because 
in lighting, different lighting, they can trick your eyes as to what fret you're on. Mm. A plain neck is probably better. <laughs> and I, I can understand why Danny Gatton had the cubic zirconium put in there. Yeah. Because, again, under lighting, not only do you see it, but you kind of feel it, too. Right. So that can be helpful. I mean, some players don't move around the neck as much, but uh, I do. He, he did, definitely. Yeah. And, and I do. I know it's because of, of learning Django style. I also I like to move up and down a lot. Um, so this guitar... In this position, you have both of these coils, as I say, underwound, and they humbuck each other. Same thing for the, this position, both of these coils humbuck each other. Mm -hmm. Then uh, this position, you have the two outside coils. Okay. This position, you have all four. And in this position, you have the two inside coils. All right. So... It's a pretty versatile guitar. Uh, I wasn't planning on those extra sounds, but the designers, uh, Fred Stewart and Gene Baker, were the builders that worked on this with me in the Fender Custom Shop at the time. And then at that time, I was also playing with Elton John, and Goodbye Elbert Road was one of my favorite of his albums, and it was one of my favorite things that we played on stage. Uh, Funeral for a Friend, which was from that album. A lot of guitar parts on that album. And uh, so I had this done... Um, and you can see, can you read that right there? I can barely read it. Yeah, I think it says. Dan so, Lawrence? Yes, Dan Lawrence 98. Dan okay. Lawrence is the airbrush artist that did this. Okay. And it's an amazing paint job. It is. And the other thing that's amazing is this guitar went through the flood in Nashville seven years ago. And, you know, the, the, the finish was the most unique thing about it. Yeah, and the finish survived beautifully, so you can't even tell. But it's a great sounding guitar, and very girthy. So I'll start with the, I'll go through the different pickup combinations. Yeah. It has a tone similar to the GNL ASAT, maybe a little fatter. This combination, this is a little bit stratty. This position is nice, smooth for rhythm. position you get these two coils very far apart it's very kind of jaguar-esque so good for funky rhythm uh, and good for surfy kind of stuff yeah and then the, the neck is very full play jazz on it if you want. Uh, so this is my signature guitar. I play a guitar like this most often, not always this 
special finish one, but right. uh, they came, the normal finishes were champagne sparkle, silver sparkle, and black mm -hmm. with gold sparkle binding and pick guard. Yeah. The, the perloid binding on that is really neat. And then the fact that they airbrushed over the control plate and it just looks, that is a <laughs> strike over the top. Yeah. Wow. Spectacular. And the pick yeah. guard as well. And, and the one other thing is you, the, the painting goes over the side of the oh guitar. Oh, my goodness. It's on the back, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this guy was a great artist. He had done also a, a Captain Fantastic okay. uh, strap, I think, for a, a friend of mine. Yeah. And I saw that, and I saw his work on that, and, and that's what, you know, drove me to do this yeah. one. <laughs> Got to do it. So I, I most often, if I'm playing a, a telly on stage, it will be yeah. this one or or one of my other. I have I have a prototype, uh, a champagne sparkle prototype that's my kind of go-to. Yeah. So, so here's another Elton guitar. Tell us about it. Yeah, this is a 1983 uh, Flying V, and I think it was like a, called a historic reissue maybe at the time. They did... A batch of these, uh, I think some moderns and some explorers, and uh, they they had been building these models, but not to the original specs for a while. So this kind of went back to the original specs with this kind of plate and mm -hmm. and the all the little features. So this guitar was hanging up in a shop called Black Market Music on La Cienega in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and I lived in West Hollywood at the time, and I would drive on that street often, and I'd see this hanging up in the window. And it always reminded me of the kinks, you know? Yeah. And I just, I'd never had a Flying V, and I just thought how cool that is. And the day that that I left for my first rehearsal and tour with Elton John, uh, they sent a car for me, as, as they did in those days, to take me to the airport. And on the way, I just said, driver, stop right here. And so we stopped at the guitar shop, and I just went in, and I just bought it. I didn't haggle. I didn't try to get a price. I didn't trade anything. I was like, uh, I'm going to go play with the ultimate 70s rock star. I'm going to have the ultimate 70s rock guitar. That's right. So <clears throat> I, I got this. And, and I didn't know at the time. Now these are uh, Tim Shaw humbuckers. So there's kind yeah. of a deal of, on their own. And, uh, of course, this is Karina. Again, it went through the flood. You can see a little bit of damage there and, and a little bit of finish loss here and you can see some you know cracking the finish there right but still you know not bad pretty unscathed i mean relatively. yeah you you would never know if i hadn't brought that up so i ended up using this uh for slide and also for um some tunings you know songs with tunings like bitches back Open G, and then the two bottom strings are the same, and uh, gives a nice. And that's 
you can hear reverb from the reverb pedal, but otherwise any kind of overdrive or distortion is just this guitar driving the matchless JJ30 amp on about one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've got it pretty low. Yeah. yeah. So Let, let's talk about matchless, you know, for a second, because I, I don't think um, some people might be aware that, you know, of course, you had a, a signature model amp that matchless made. Yeah. But a lot of people don't realize how much of a... Uh, how much you were involved with with Mark Sampson in the early days? That you you told me stories about how you had AC30s that you were touring with, you know, at the Desert Rose Band, and they were falling apart. And they well, they weren't, they weren't falling apart, but they were having problems. They were falling apart. And, <laughs> and and you were contacting Mark Sampson, and he was like walking you through how to repair them on the phone. Well, yeah, that that's absolutely true. I mean. At the beginning, when Desert Rose Band started touring, I had four AC30s to try to keep two working at any given time. Um, and that's not because they were poorly built or anything like that. They were just old and, yeah. and you know, and, and, and they weren't used to being on a bus vibrating and stuff, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, one show at the bottom line, I remember, you know, turning on my amps. One didn't come on. I looked in the back. The transformer was dangling by the wires. Mm -hmm. It had just vibrated loose right you know so i had those kind of things all the time when i first i first became aware of mark because i was buying parts at a shop on sunset boulevard in hollywood and i kept bugging the guy for more and more vox parts and finally he just said look here's the guy that i get all this stuff from he's in iowa <laughs> so he gave me mark's number okay so i contacted mark and i bought a couple things from him and uh then i started asking him about repairs and he said yeah well you know send me your amps. And I said, I don't want to do that. I said, what if I bought you a plane ticket and you came out here? And so I did. He came out and he stayed at my apartment and he fixed my amps and he brought out some stuff to trade and whatever. And, and so we just became friends, you know, and, yeah. and I kept saying, you know, I think the AC30 thing, people are going to start playing it more and more. Because mm -hmm. in LA at the time, not that many people, you know, like maybe Tom Petty, Edge, yeah. Uh, Brian Adams, maybe just a few people. He said, but it's, I think it's going to get bigger. So, uh, you know, to, to shorten the story, eventually he did move out to California. Uh, and it was not that easy to set a family and stuff. And, you know, cost of living is quite different in Iowa to California. Yes. But he came out and he was, you know, pretty quickly, everybody in the know wanted him repairing their amps. Mm -hmm. And his customers were like Michael Landau and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Jack Joseph Quaig used yeah. him a lot, and Albie Galutin. Anybody who had vintage studio gear or amps was the, you know, onto him. Well, I kept asking him at the time, couldn't you build me an amp that sounds like an AC30, but it's not old, like a new one, but don't change, don't change the sound, don't change the specs, just build it strong. Well, he thought about it, thought about it. Well, finally, he hooked up with a guy named Rick Parada, and Rick was a very organized guy. Mark is not organized, but just kind of geniusy with sound and tubes and all that. Mm -hmm. And he said, we're going to do it. You know, he said, I I've taken apart a transformer. I'm going to have them remanufactured, account the mines, the insulation, all this stuff. And if, you know, what do you want on the amp? And I said, well, I've got to have the top boost channel, an AC30. And I would like a phase switch on the back because when I was doing stereo you know, miking in the studio, I'd always have to like switch the wires and mm -hmm. test the phase. I mean, I just have a switch. Yep. I'd like two outlets on the back. So if I have stuff to plug in, 
Uh, I would like a half power switch to make it like an AC-15, drop out to the power tubes. And uh, he said, what about, what about a master volume? I said, no, I hate master volume. He said, but I have to have that on for marketing. I said, well, okay, well, if you do, then have it be able to get out of the circuit, like put a push-pull switch or something on it. Okay. He said, what about the second channel? I said, what about, would you like a, like a Princeton or like a Fender? I said, no, I hate Fender stuff. Don't. <laughs> he, I said, I don't care, whatever you want. He said, maybe an AC-15 channel. They have a different tube and it might be cool. I said, okay, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. Just as long as you have the toughest channel and the other, I'm cool. So that's what he built. And that became the DC-30. Yeah. So Sent those were the, your specs. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah basically. So he sent the first one out with me on tour with Desert Rose Band. And he, he, he traveled with sometimes as a tech, too. But he sent it out and worked great. You know, he knew what to design out because he'd repaired so many amps. So he knew. And he built it. It was fantastic. And, of course, they sent one to a shootout at Guitar Player Magazine. It won. People went crazy. And, you know, Matchless just... You know, his business went nuts from there on. Right. And he's developed a couple other models. And, you know, one was the SC30, single 12. Another one was an 80-watt, you know, kind of like an AC100. Mm -hmm. Great-sounding amp. I had that for a little while. And then Michael Landau took it and tried it and wouldn't return it. He loved it that much. But uh, try to... Long story short, so matches became very successful. And... And I had a grad. I had uh, I had kind of gradually moved to the SC30 single twelve model, and so we were going on. Mark and I were, you know, friends, and and he said, you know, we should do a, a signature model amp. I said, but you know, I I want everything I wanted. I told you in the DC30. Yeah. He said, but now you use the single twelve. I go, yeah. I said, well, is there anything? Oh, and, and also in the Roger McGuinn doing that album, I never plugged into that second channel. I just ignored it. Mm -hmm. Well, one day I just said, oh, let me just try this. And I went, oh, my God, that's the best sounding thing I ever heard in my life. And from then on, I never plugged into the first channel anymore. Wow. You know, I love that EF86, too, mm -hmm. sound and single 12 and all that. So that was what I was using all the time. I said, well, if we do a signature amp, let's do it that channel. But I'd love to have reverb and tremolo on board, yeah. you know, in the single 12. So, and I said, and I love the old look of the custom amps, the sparkly ones. So let's do a single 12, the second channel, add tremolo and reverb and cover it in a sparkle. What color? I said, oh, blue or gray or white or some combination of those. What about red? No, I don't like that. Gold, no, just those. Okay. He said, it's going to be really expensive. I said, I don't care. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me if, if, yeah. you know, if you're okay to build them. Yeah. So he did, and it was released at the NAMM show in 1997. He said, people don't care how much it is. They're ordering it anyway. <laughs> so that uh, became the signature model lamp. They weren't supposed to build it in any other colors besides blue, white, or gray. They ended up building some in red and some in gold, which I've seen. But. And then not long after that, that same year, um, because of growing pains of big companies, 
uh, Mark had to sell controlling interest to another party. This guy was a lawyer. And he then locked Mark out of the company and decided that he would just let it go bankrupt and wait two years and then restart it. So not paying Celestian, not paying the transfer manufacturers, not paying me for royalties on the amps. Yeah. You know, to me that was so unconscious and not looking at the bigger picture that it's a small world, this musical family, and people are going to know that. Mm -hmm. And so to just start up again without the guy that, you know, created this company and with ill will from people like me and... And your suppliers. Yeah, exactly. So... That's why now I, I would rarely use these amps live. I don't want to promote them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm proud of my amps, and my old matchless sound amazing. They're great amps, and, and they've been through the flood and still underwater for a week, and they still work. Amazing. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for matchlesses, go find some Samson Arrow matchlesses. Yeah. And they're going to have the spirit and the energy of the guy who designed them not the spirit and the energy of the guy who took the company bankrupt. Well said. <laughs> so now to cover kind of your, your Django era, we've got your, one of your signature models. From- yeah, this is, a, this is a copy of a Selmer guitar that was, uh, you know, Selmers were made in the, from 1930 to 1953 about, and that's what Django played. Yeah. This one is a black and white, we call it the tuxedo model. Uh, I joined forces with Saga um, early on. It's been quite a number of years now, but they they figured out how to build these guitars really well. So I've got three signature models with them, uh, one that's more traditional colored than this one, and then one that has the big D sound hole, which is a little bit different. But uh, they're great guitars. You can hear how it sounds. kind of tight and uh, projecting sound. So, and part of that is due to the, the longer scale of it and then the fact that the, the kind of the interesting strings that are used for it and then the, uh, the, the inner like baffling of the body and such. Well, this doesn't have any inner baffling. I use right. a little bit of foam here. That, that helps the, the body not create a resonant low tone. Um, but yeah, the strings are unusual strings because they're, they have a steel core like a steel string, mm-hmm. but the winding is silver-plated copper, like a classical string. Okay. So that's why they have a sound kind of in between a steel string and a classical. You use a very heavy pick. You see, this is probably four millimeters thick. Oh, my goodness. With a bevel on the edge. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the body has a little bit of a dome right here. It's not a big arch, but it's uh, the top is kind of glued to braces that have a little bit of an arch. So it's almost like this is a speaker dome. And the, the bridge kind of, uh, the bridge sets that top and the body in motion. And you, you play it pretty hard back here by the bridge. You don't want to play up here, because that's a terrible sound.
this is uh, this is a, a Blue Ridge guitar that you use in your uh, in your J two B two, you know, in your in your bluegrass group. Right. Uh, Saga is the parent company, the same one that builds the Chaton guitars. And we talked for a number of years about doing something with their Blue Ridge line. I really like their guitars a lot. So this is again a signature model. You'll see some matching elements uh, to some of my other models with this kind of tort Dalmatian tortoise shell, they call it. Uh, this guitar has an extra large sound hole like Tony Rice's that was Clarence White's. It doesn't look like it because the fingerboard doesn't overhang. Okay. Uh, the top is made of Port Orford cedar. It's a slow growing cedar. Usually cedar is pretty fast growing and is used for tops on flamencos, sometimes other guitars, and it has a very warm sound. Uh, and, and spruce, of course, is a harder, slower growing wood and it has a more of a dry and bright sound. So this is kind of in between both. It's got the warmth of a, of a cedar, but it's a slow growing cedar, so it's not too soft. Oh. So the back and sides are Brazilian rosewood and um, it sounds like this. Full bluegrass sound. I love it. Uh, it sounds great plugged in. Sounds great on a mic. And of course it has the rose on here. It's kind of a little nod to the Desert Rose Band. Yeah. And uh, so this is my Blue Ridge signature model. Very nice. Well, John. Boom. Yeah. I really appreciate <laughs> you coming out today. Hey, this, this is, is my a, pleasure. It's a really special treat. This so. is my pleasure because yeah, I, I know you know, yeah. you know? And uh, so it, it, it's fun to tell about stuff that, you know, you might actually give a shit about yeah. and be <laughs> interested and know some of the details. Because so. I carry around a lot of this stuff in my mind. And yeah. most people are like, you know, my wife's like, uh, guitars again, strings, blah, 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 you know, so boring. So not, not to us. <laughs> good, good. Right. Thank right. you. You're welcome. This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, TrueTone.com.